If you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to continue looking at verses 15 through 17 this morning, which is a passage that's all about establishing the right priorities in our lives as Christians. See, one of the most important questions a human being can ever answer in their lifetime is, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why am I created? Our secular society does not provide an answer to that question. Naturalistic evolution doesn't provide an answer for that question. They just set men and women off on a listless journey from birth to death. Because no answer is ever given for one of the most fundamental questions of human existence. Why am I here? What is the purpose of my life? But God's Word answers that question, and it doesn't waste time getting there. Genesis 1.26 says that we as men and women were created in the image of God. We were created to reflect God's glory and character. The only problem is because and ever since Adam's fall in the garden, we have failed at fulfilling that purpose for which we were created. As Scripture says, all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of reflecting God's character and image in our everyday lives. Every human being has. Which is why it is so astonishing then when you come to Colossians 1.15 and read of Jesus Christ. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus Christ is God in human flesh. He is the pure and perfect image of God in man. And thus, He is the means by which the image of God is restored in us. When we surrender our souls to Jesus Christ to be our saving sovereign, we are united to Him who is the image of God. And we rediscover our purpose in life. It is to become more like Jesus in our words, our attitudes, and our actions. To reflect Him who is the image and glory of God and to magnify Jesus Christ above all on a daily basis. This is our purpose in life. And what we're discovering in this letter of Colossians is that we accomplish this purpose in our everyday lives more than just through our words by saying that Christ is above all. We accomplish this purpose through our everyday actions which are determined by our everyday priorities. And that's what our passage before us today is all about. If we want to honor and if we want to exalt Jesus Christ, who is our Savior and Lord, above all in our everyday lives, then we must set the right priorities on a daily basis in order to accomplish that goal. And Paul lays out for us here in this passage three priorities that we are to maintain on a daily basis. If we want to have lives that are an act of worship to God and show that Jesus Christ is supreme and above all, then we must first let the peace of Christ rule. That's in verse 15. Second, we must let the word of Christ dwell. That's in verse 16. And then finally, we must let the name of Christ prevail. And I should let you know that today... We'll keep it simple by finishing our point of letting the peace of Christ rule and then exploring this morning what it means to let the word of Christ dwell. We'll finish up the rest of the passage next week. But this is how we are to show the world by our everyday actions that Jesus Christ is the supreme and sufficient one. It is by letting the peace of Christ rule, letting the word of Christ dwell, and letting the name of Christ prevail in everything we say and we do. So as we started last week, let us again continue in this journey through Colossians 3. Let's read this together, Colossians 3.15 through 17. Paul writes, 
And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This is the Word of God whose righteous rules all His children swear to keep. Let's pray. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word this morning. We thank You, Father, for how it is quick and powerful cutting down to our hearts, exposing the thoughts and intentions that lie within. We thank You, Father, that it is a lamp to our feet, that it is a light to our path. We thank You that it shows us the way in which we are to walk for Your honor and glory. And we thank You, Father, that it is not just merely focused on the externals of our lives, but just as You see our hearts, so Your Word speaks to our heart. And reminds us and changes us. Father, I pray that this morning you would teach us by your Spirit, through your Word, what type of priorities we ought to have the moment our heads lift the pillow to the moment they return to that place. Father, help us to have the right priorities in our lives so that when we say that Jesus is Lord, people might see that not just from our words, but by how we live our everyday lives. And on the basis of these priorities, Father, may we be able to engage in serving You as the rest of the book of Colossians lays out. Teach this to us now, Father, that we might be faithful in what comes later. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we started to see last week, One of the ways that we are to exalt Jesus Christ on an everyday basis is by making it our daily priority to let the peace of Christ rule. Paul writes in verse 15, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Last week we looked at that initial phrase, to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, and what it meant for us personally as individual believers and Christians. And what we uncovered in our journey last week is that you and I should let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts in two primary ways. First, through letting our positional peace that we have in Christ rule over all of our decisions. And second, by letting the practical peace that we have in Christ rule over all of our emotions. In other words, in every decision that we face, we must remember, I am on Christ's side, positionally. This is who I belong to. And in every emotion that we faced, we must remember Christ is my life. My life is hidden in Christ with God. My life is hidden in Him who has suffered, who is sovereign, and who is soon coming. He is my peace. This is how I'm to let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, by letting it rule over all of my decisions and all of my emotions. This is how I show people, even by how I act, that Jesus is above all. And if I do this, if the peace of Christ rules in my heart, this will transform not only my personal life, decisions, and emotions, but also, as we'll see this morning, 
my relationships among the body of Christ as well. Because notice, this calling to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts is not just given to us personally as individuals, but also corporately as the body of Christ, as the church. That's why Paul says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, plural. The peace of Christ to which you were called into as one body. That body being, as Colossians 1.18 makes clear, the church. Colossians 2.19 teaches us that the moment that we embraced Jesus Christ by faith, we became knit together spiritually and relationally with other believers into the body of Christ. We became spiritually one with each other through Jesus, our head. And the local church is an expression of that. It is the local expression of the believer's union with Christ. And so Paul is making this argument. Listen, if there is peace in Christ, and there is, we saw that last week, positional and practical peace in Jesus If there is peace in Christ, then the local church ought to be an expression of that peace. Can I just reiterate that? The local church ought to be an expression of the peace that is found in Christ alone. In Christ alone. Because to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts is not just something to which you are called individually, it is something to which you are called to corporately as one body. And so Paul here is really saying, let the peace of Christ rule among you in the church, for to this we were called, notice he says, into one body. One body. See, there is a unity that comes, that grows, and that increases when the body of Christ is ruled solely by the peace of Christ and not by personalities or opinions. When Christ is calling all the plays in my life, and when Christ is calling all the plays in your life, when He is ruling and umpiring over all of our decisions and all of our emotions as a body, that brings about an unshakable unity among the fellowship. So then it is imperative that we apply this passage to us as a faith family. Grace Chapel, right? First. We as members of the body of Christ here at Grace Chapel need to be committed, every one of us, of letting the positional peace that is ours in Christ rule over our decisions as a body and as a church. Satan delights in creating divisions among the body of Christ, whether it be along the lines of ethnic, religious, cultural, or socioeconomic distinctions, as we saw back in verse 11 of chapter 3, or whether it be along the lines of what color the carpet or the walls are going to be painted. right? Satan wants to create issues of contention and then demand that we take sides on those issues. Well, if we're committed to letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, if we are committed for this church to be an expression of the peace that can only be found in Jesus Christ, then our response to Satan's lies and temptations have to be, no, we are all on Christ's side. Together as one family. As verses 12 through 14 taught us, we are God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. And no issue, listen to me, no issue is more important than making sure that I treat you with compassion leading to kindness, humility leading to meekness, and patience leading to forbearance and forgiveness. We're on Christ's side now. So nothing is more important than making sure that I treat you in love always and in everything. Man, when the peace of Christ rules in a church like that, 
there will be unity. So we need to be committed to letting the positional peace that is ours in Christ rule over all of our decisions as a faith family. Second, we as members here at Grace Chapel need to be committed to letting the practical peace that is ours in Christ rule over all of our emotions as well. Christ died so that we might have peace. As Colossians 1.20 says, peace by the blood of His cross. And if Christ died to make peace possible, then it is utterly contradictory for His people who are called by His name to harbor inner hatred, inner resentment, inner bitterness, and to allow anything to rule in their hearts other than the peace for which Christ died. All of us are redeemed sinners who still have areas of sin that we need to put off and areas of Christ-likeness that we need to put on. And therefore, there are going to be times in this fellowship when we as believers will not treat each other the way that we should. And in that moment of personal offense, we need to be committed to seeing each other as those in Christ to the same degree that we need to see ourselves that way. They, like I, have a past that is forgiven by a Christ who has suffered. I too must forgive. They, like I, have a present that is controlled by a Christ who is sovereign. I too must be patient as Christ is patient towards them. And they, like I, have a future that is glorious besides a Christ who is soon coming. I too should be merciful and compassionate as Christ is merciful and compassionate towards them. See, though they have offended me, they, like I, are one of God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, and I should treat them ever and always like that. I must let my emotions be ruled by the practical peace that is mine and theirs in Christ. As Ephesians 4, 1 through 3 commands, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Why? Verse 3, because we are eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And so when all of us as one body treat each other as those in Christ and as those on His side, when all of us as one body let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, that creates a unity that magnifies Jesus Christ. And to tie it off so beautifully, look at the end of verse 15. Paul writes this, and be thankful. See, this is the key to peace. This is the key to peace, both practically for us as individuals and corporately as a church. Be thankful. Paul says, present tense. In other words, just keep on thanking God for everything. And particularly for what you have in Christ. Keep your mind and your heart grounded on Him and be continually thankful. This is the key to peace. Think about it. Personally, have you ever felt agitated, upset, or angry at the exact same time that you have been thanking God for everything that you have in Jesus? No, you haven't. It is impossible. It is impossible. Because a spirit of thankfulness produces and protects a spirit of peacefulness. If I am thankful in my heart for what God has given me already, I will not be in turmoil in my heart over what He hasn't given me yet. Thankfulness secures peacefulness. Lord, you're calling all the shots. So I know that this must be building up to something for your glory and for my eternal good. And so thank you. Thank you for leading me to this and through this. Because it must be good. And I'm thankful that I'm going through this with all the promises and and the entire presence of Jesus Christ with me. Be thankful. Be thankful. 
And you'll discover that thankfulness secures peacefulness. So this is the first priority that you and I are to share if we are to exalt Jesus Christ above all on a daily basis in our individual lives and corporately as a church. We must make it our priority to let the peace of Christ rule, to show the world that there is peace that is found, peace by the blood of the cross. And we do that by making it our priority to let the peace of Christ rule in all of our hearts. Second, Paul says we must let the word of Christ dwell What type of priorities must exist in my life in order that I live a life that honors and glorifies Jesus above all? I must let the Word of Christ dwell. Verse 16, Paul says, Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. You can tell I'm being real original with these points, right? Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with, there it is again, thankfulness in your hearts to the Lord. So Paul says here, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That word dwell is anoikeo in the Greek. It means to be at home in. So Paul is saying here that the word of God is to be at home within you. It's not to be a stranger. It is not to be a stranger, it is to be your welcomed and intimate companion. So so that when people look in your life, they see the word of Christ all over the place. That's the picture that Paul is painting. To such a degree, let me get you thinking now, to such a degree that when someone around you, like your classmates or your co-worker, is thinking, I wonder what God's word says about this, they automatically think of you. They automatically think of you because they know that you are where the word of Christ dwells. Is that a reputation you possess, believer? It ought to be. So that when others around you want to know what Christ has to say on a subject or who he is and what he has said, what he has done, they think, I know where I can find the word of Christ. I know where it dwells. Why, it dwells in and they ought to say you or me. Right? Notice, he says, it ought to dwell in us, he says, richly. I mean, this is not a half-hearted priority that you and I are to have as followers of Jesus Christ concerning the Word of Christ. We are to make sure on a daily basis that we are packing our lives full of the words of Jesus. We must pack our lives full of Scripture. As Paul said of John, as people said of John Bunyan, if you cut him, he'd bleed Scripture. It was just pouring out of him. That is to be our testimony as followers of Jesus as well, that the word of Christ dwells in you and in me richly. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, Oh, that you and I might get into the very heart of the word of God and get that word into us. As I have seen the silkworm eat into the leaf and consume it, so we ought to do with the word of the Lord. Not crawl over its surface, but eat right into it till we have taken it into our innermost parts. It is idle merely to let the eye glance over the words or to recollect the poetical expressions or the historic facts, but it is blessed to eat into the very soul of the Bible until at last you come to talk in scriptural language and your very style is fashioned upon biblical models and what is better still, your spirit is flavored with the words of the Lord. That's what Paul is saying. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly till you start taking on the glory of the one that they testify of. This is to be our individual testimony. Let the word of Christ 
dwell in you richly. And by the way, it's to be our corporate testimony as a church as well. When people in our community are thinking, I need to go somewhere where God's word is being taught, I am really struggling with this issue of life. What does God have to say about it? I need to go somewhere where I can hear Christ's voice. They ought to think in that moment, Grace Chapel. When our neighbors in our town and when people around us in our community want to know who God is, what He has said, and how to live in light of Him, we want them to think of us. We want them to know that this is a place where the Word of Christ dwells richly. Not so that we will be honored and exalted, but so that Christ will be honored and exalted. That our reputation is here, the words of men do not prevail, but the words of Christ dwell richly. So practically, how can we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly? For the sake of brevity, I'll just mention two ways. Pretty obvious. Read it and heed it. Right? Read and heed it. If you want the word of Christ to begin dwelling in you richly so that you can have the right mindset for facing the day for the glory of Jesus, then you must read the word of God and you must heed it. First, you must read the word of Christ. Deuteronomy 17, 18 through 20 says this. And when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law approved by the Levitical priests. And what role is the word of God to have in his life, meaning the king of Israel? Verse 19, and it shall be with him, and he shall read in it all the days of his life. Why? that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law and these statutes and doing them, that his heart may not be lifted up above his brothers, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment either to the right hand or to the left. So do you want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly? Then you have to have it with you, and you have to read it all the days of your life. Why? So that you may grow in reverence, humility, and obedience to Christ you want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, then you've got to read it. Obviously. How are you doing in reading God's word in a regular fashion in your life? Because you will never live a life for the glory of Christ until that becomes a priority to fill your heart with the word of God. If you want the word of Christ to dwell in you richly, then read it. Secondly, Heed it. Heed the word of Christ. Matthew 13, verse 9 says this, He who has ears, let him hear. See, it's not enough for us to simply read the word. We must heed it. We must pay attention to it. We don't want to be like those during the days of Ezekiel that I just read about in my own devotions who listened to the word of God like they would listen to a pleasant instrument, but they never did a single thing about it. No, we must be like those of Luke eleven twenty eight who hear the word of God and do it. If we want the word of Christ to dwell in us richly, then as Hebrews 2, verse 1 says, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. We must read the word of Christ and we must heed it. What are you doing on a practical sense of making sure that your brain is engaged when you're reading the Bible on a daily basis? I would encourage you, if you're sitting there thinking, not really anything at all, then I would encourage you to take at least a sheet of paper and write down these three phrases. God is, God does, I must. If you've been recognizing that your brain is just skimming along the surface and you're not digging into understanding what's actually going there, if you're reading it but you're not heeding it, ask yourself those three questions. What, 
Who is God according to this passage? What is he doing? What is he calling on me to change? God is, God does, I must. And that can be a practical step to making sure that you're not only just reading God's word, but you're heeding it. You're heeding it. And by the way, if you think this call to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly is all about dry intellectualism, it is not. Because listen, our verse here in Colossians 3.16 is paralleled over in Ephesians 5.18, which was read this morning in our scripture reading. Only there, in Ephesians 5.18, it swaps the phrase, let the word of Christ dwell with the phrase, be filled with the Spirit. I think this realization is highly important for us to observe because it destroys a false dichotomy that probably exists in many of your minds this morning. And that And it also is important because it reminds us of what is really at stake in letting the Word of Christ dwell in us. First, the realization that let the Word of Christ dwell can be swapped with be filled with the Spirit is important because it destroys the false dichotomy that exists in many people's minds that the Word of God and the Spirit of God are experienced separately. That is not true. The ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit happen hand in hand. But many people today think there's a separation. Some people go around places asking this, do you have a biblical church? And other people will go around asking, do you have a Spirit-filled church? As if there was a separation between the ministry of the Word and the ministry of the Spirit of God. Listen, there is not... Ephesians 6.17 says the sword of the Spirit is what? The Word of God. You cannot separate the ministry of the Word from the ministry of the Spirit or the ministry of the Spirit from the ministry of the Word. So if you want to experience the ministry of the Spirit, then you must put yourself under the ministry of the Word, for it is one and the same. And that in turn reminds us of what's really at stake here of letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. What's at stake is whether you and I as believers will live lives supernaturally empowered and equipped by the Spirit of God to glorify Christ in this world or not. If you want to be filled and controlled with the Spirit of God, then you must become filled and controlled by the Word of God. For that is how the Spirit controls you. He will bring to your remembrance that which He's taught you. If you want to be supernaturally empowered to magnify and testify of Christ in this world, then you must become richly indwelt by the word of Christ. For the Holy Spirit can only bring to your remembrance that which you have first diligently read and heeded. What a reminder that if you want to be filled with the Spirit, then you must be filled with the word. As George Mueller, that famous British evangelist, once said, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and thoughts. So many people say, I just want to experience that spirit-filled life while their Bible collects dust on the shelf. There is no ministry of the Spirit apart from the ministry of the Word. We must be filled with the Spirit to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. See, this call to have the Word of Christ dwell in us richly is not about dry intellectualism. This is about spiritual vitality in life. This is about experiencing the abundant life that Christ has promised us. 
It's about letting the Holy Spirit, through the Word of God, fill us and control us. Now, this is a dorky illustration, but it works for me, and hopefully it works for you. We are, follow with me, to experience the Word of Christ spiritually like I enjoy experiencing Mountain Dew physically. Okay? (laughs) Can I tell you? I love Mountain Dew, and I love to have it dwell in my dwell in me richly. For you, it might be coffee. For me, it's a Mountain Dew. Don't judge. Okay. So now, when me when I open up a, a a can of Mountain Dew, right? I sip it slowly. I savor it. You know, I don't want to get into too much details. And I let it fill me. <laughs> I let it fill me up, not only because I enjoy the flavor and experience of the moment, but also because I seek its energy, right? Mountain Dew has a powerful effect, enlivening and invigorating me. In fact, I drank some this morning before I came up here. (laughs) Listen, the word of Christ does that exact same thing for us as well. Psalms 19, verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect. And what does it do? It revives the soul. See, we are to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly, not just because of what it is, it is perfect, but also because of what the Word of God does. It revives the soul. It enlivens the soul. It brings life into my inner man. God's Word imparts spiritual life and vitality. It has a powerful effect. A powerful effect. It invigorates and enlivens us to live for the glory of God. As Jesus said in John 6, 63, these words that I speak to you are spirit and life. So drink it in. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly so that you might be filled with the spirit to honor and exalt Christ in this world. And what will be the result of that spiritual enlivening? We see it here at the end of verse 16. The two effects of letting the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And they are wonderful effects. Effects that demonstrate that there is new life in our hearts. They are effects that demonstrate to the world around us that we are indeed alive because there is a risen Savior. Powerful effects when we let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. And that's going to have to wait until next week. But until then, I want to finish with these two applications. First, in light of the priority of letting the peace of Christ rule, how are you doing, believer, in protecting the peace that is yours in Christ through a spirit of thankfulness? Would your spouse know you to be a thankful person? your kids know you to be a thankful person? Co-workers? Do you have a spirit of peacefulness that is protected by a spirit of thankfulness? I would guarantee you that the area of your life where you are feeling the most anxiety and troubledness is an area where you have not thought, how can I thank God for what is going on right now? I would encourage you that if you are struggling and manifesting a peace of Christ, particularly in your emotions, a helpful exercise that has helped me is to write down that which is making you troubled or afraid, and then write out all the things that you can be thankful to God for related to that issue. And what you'll find out is that 
if with thanksgiving you let your request be made known unto God, as Philippians 4, 6 through 7 says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding is going to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. God will fulfill his promise. Second, in light of the priority of making the word of Christ dwell, my application is very simple. How are you doing in reading the word? How are you in heeding the word? I would encourage you to return to the word of Christ this week and to make it your priority to have it dwell in you richly so that you would be enlivened and equipped by the Holy Spirit to live for the glory of Christ this week. Bring it with you. Carry it with you. Put it in your back pocket. Put it in an index card. Carry it with you for the rest of the day so that you can let it dwell in you richly. Fill you up and give you that enlivening strength you need to exalt Christ on a day-to-day basis. Because this is how we show that Christ is above all. It's by letting the peace of Christ rule and is by letting the word of Christ dwell. We'll have to look at the rest of the passage next week, but for now, this is the word of God from Colossians 3, 15-16, which I now commit to your further study and your faithful obedience until he who is our life appears. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for the rich, rich feast from your word this morning. Father, we thank you for the realities that are ours in Christ. Realities that secure for us a spirit of thankfulness so that we might have peace. Father, we thank you that there is peace in Christ. Help us to meditate on the truths that are ours in Jesus this week. So that in the midst of an anxious and troubling world, we can have a peace that passes all understanding. And Father, we also thank you that this week we have your word. We have the words of Christ. Father, I thank you for how they are words of comfort, words of encouragement, words of conviction and warning, words of wisdom and thanksgiving. And I pray, Father, that this week you would give us the grace to let your word fill us richly. Father, help us not to neglect your word this week. Help us to be more faithful in this coming week in reading your word and paying attention to it than we were in the previous. And we ask this for your honor and for your glory that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Give us grace towards this end to let the Word of Christ dwell in us richly this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.